And welcome back to our Book Talk segment of the program today. We're glad to uh, have you with us and uh, glad to have our guest on today. It's uh, a man I've known for uh, several years now. Actually, uh, we work together in a sense because uh, he played football and I called the games. But uh, his story is really a, a great story, and he's written a book about it called The Golden Gladiator, the true story of the oldest American football players returned to the gridiron and glory. We're joined today by a good friend of mine, Michael Lynch, who uh, played for a team called the Sarasota Millionaires, also the Brandon Gladiators, and I had the pleasure of uh, being with the Millionaires for about 10 seasons, uh, doing uh, their broadcasts on uh, both radio and online, and got to know Michael a bit uh, on our long bus trips as we traveled all around the uh, state of uh, Florida playing games, and uh, Michael joins us uh, on the telephone for a few minutes to talk about his book, which uh, just came out, and uh, Michael, uh, great to have a chance to chat with you a little bit on the radio. I know we talked about doing this a long time ago on our bus trip, but we finally get to do it tonight. Doug, uh, we go back a long time, a little bit of history. I remember when I uh, came down in 2012, 2013 to uh, research playing for one of these semi-pro teams. And, uh, you know, your name would come up on the website for the Sarasota Millionaires. And I followed you for about a year as I prepared. You're, you're the one. And, <laughs> and, yeah. You know, hearing about you talking about, you know, Calvin Williams and the Sarasota Millionaires and Coach Givens. And then the following year, I had the great pleasure of being a part of the team, and I'll never forget it. Yeah, I remember, I, I believe I remember when you came in uh, for one of those early uh, practices. I, I think that, that was the year that you were kind of scouting it out. I remember you came in, I think you had your camera with you, and you were just talking to some of Correct. the players and some of the coaches. And and uh, and again, I should tell the audience, uh, you know, in the title of the book, says the oldest American football player. You were, at that time, what, 63? Yes, what happened is I saw my nephew play in a high school all-star game the summer of 2012. I got on the field and had an epiphany. I said, I got to get back on the football field. I was 62 then, so by the time I got down to uh, Sarasota that winter, it was obviously the winter of 213. The uh, millionaires had their first game that January. I'd stopped by a bunch of practices. Uh, I went to a bunch of games. And at that time, I really was not telling anybody what my intentions were because I didn't know if I'd be able to pull it off. I didn't know if they would let me try to pull it off. But I talked to Calvin the last week of, I think it was April, as the season was ending and they were getting into the playoffs and I was heading back to New York. And I asked him, Calvin, you know, look, I'd like to come out for the team next year. And he goes, Mike, uh, he goes, look, uh, you know, you, you're going to be 20 years older than everyone. <laughs> and I said, no, Calvin, I'm going to be 40 years older. <laughs> but still, and he said, Mike, look, if you can get through our combine, we'll get you a game jersey for the uh, practices. If you can get through the practices, you know, we'll, uh, you know, we'll let you play. And it all worked out for me. Doug, uh, and uh, just I will always be indebted to Calvin, his wife Betsy, and Coach Given, and Coach Thad, and Coach Rick, and all those guys, and my teammates for just accepting me and uh, 
it was just some of the best four years of my life. I should just give a, a little brief background for the people that are not aware of what the millionaires were. It was a, uh, they call it semi-pro, but really kind of a minor league football organization. I got involved back in 2000, I believe it was 2005 or six, the first year that they had it. Somebody that we knew at the radio station, one of our engineers, uh, heard about it, and he brought uh, Calvin in. Uh, to talk to uh, our GM at the time, and I was there, and the GM came out and said, uh, we, we're going to make a deal to do the games on the radio with uh, this organization, and would you be interested? I said, sure. So that's how I got involved. So the first couple of years, uh, we actually did those games on the radio. And uh, like you talk about in the book, Mike, uh, it's really one of the best uh, minor league or semi-pro, even though the players aren't paid, organizations in the country. I think the talent level, uh, I would say, probably Division two college level football you probably know better than me you played in division one but uh, that yeah. level a lot of great players that played in high school ball maybe some players that uh, you know maybe played years uh, ago and they couldn't go to college or other players that maybe had some troubles but it, it was that kind of program to give guys a second chance so just to give a background on what that league was all about correct look so back in the 70s after east carolina i played there i uh, played semi-pro football on long island with the Long Island Eagles. They had two teams, Huntington Giants, Long Island Eagles. Right. Had both teams in the league. Uh, you know, I think they may have paid one or two people back in the day, but that being said, most people play for the love of it. Uh, it's very good competition, even in those days. But the competition in this league was just mind-blowing, uh, especially – you know, I think the millionaires made it to a couple of uh, finals. Made it two two final championship games, right? We played them at the uh, Citrus Bowl at that time. Correct. In Orlando. Got, yeah. We lost both of them, I think. Correct. Right. We did, yes. Right, and uh, the team I think that beat them were the Miami Bulls, who. Uh, yeah, I think the Orlando Rage State. was one, and Miami Bulls was the other. Right. Right, and we played those teams each uh, twice a year. Uh, we didn't play the Bulls with the Millionaires, but the million, uh, the uh, excuse me, the Miami Bulls were considered the best team in the country for about four or five years. Right, and you know they were just a powerful team. But you know, even on the Millionaires, we had Mike Ford, uh, we had seven or eight of our players. Arthur Jeffries played with Tennessee. Uh, uh, Probably eight or nine of us played uh, Division One football, and a bunch of guys could have played Division One, but you know could not get into school, maybe lacked the discipline. Right. Uh, but the uh, competition was, uh, you know, fast and furious. Great, uh, you know, great league and great competition. Yeah, what made it great and, and kind of fun for me, obviously, doing the games. That that's that's fun. Uh, we enjoyed that, but really the program that. Calvin put together with his wife, uh, Bethsaida, uh, and I guess the whole league in general. But I think the millionaires were probably the leaders of this, just kind of giving guys a chance. And, again, most of the players came from, like, the Newtown area of Sarasota, which is, uh, you know, the black right. neighborhood. And a lot of those guys, obviously, you know, they, some of them had some troubles off the field. You know, we won't get into what they were, but, you know, maybe they – didn't, like you said, uh, apply themselves during their high school years, but they had the football talent, and this program kind of kept these guys, at least gave them some kind of discipline, you know, two days a week for practice and then uh, during the game. So I, I think it helped a lot of guys. I think it did. Uh, Calvin mentioned to me, um, he mentioned that to me one of the first times I talked to him. That was the reason he, 
you know, had the team. He wanted to give back to the community. And look, it is a lot of work running these teams. I mean, it is just, uh, you know, transportation to and from the games, procuring practice facilities, uh, you know, uniforms for 70, 80 football players, two sets, three sets of uniforms sometimes, uh, paying for referees. And, uh, you know, for us, we come, we practice, we head home. Calvin and Betsy, and for the people who ran the Southwest Florida Gladiators, Derek and Rose Greenwood, the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of thankless work, but they do a great job, and you really have to have a passion for doing it. And uh, Calvin and Betsy and Derek and Rose had and have the passion for that. Yeah, it was just a great uh, experience for me, Doug, and uh, I'm just, uh, you know, look, when I did this, I never thought I would put any of this down on paper, but as I, I thought I'd play one year and that'd be that, but I wound up playing three more after that first year. I thought I had some great stories to tell, and that's why I put all this down. It took me about five years to write this book, but hopefully when people read it, they'll think it's a good book, and uh, you know, I think it is. It's been reviewed several times, five-star reviews, and some people who have read it I think it's a nice little read. Yeah, I, I read it. I would have read it anyway if I'd even know you, but it was a, a fun read because I remember a lot of it. Uh, some of it, uh, when you went on to the Gladiators, I didn't know those stories because we didn't get to do those games later on. But uh, just being part of that franchise, and I, I should mention again, Michael is uh, in the Guinness Book of Records, I believe, for being the oldest football player, right? I think you got the official designation that, for I, that. Yeah, correct. So it was uh... – I was 68 and a half that last year when I believe it was the last day of March 2018. I actually caught a touchdown pass. Right. We finished up about a month later. We won the championship. And some people on the team and the organization said, hey, let's uh, look into this Guinness Book of World Records. My brother Dennis got involved in it. And literally, it was a 10-month vetting situation. They do not let anything get by them uh i think the gentleman before me was around 58 or 59 who uh had that distinction so i beat him by 10 or 11 Pretty years good. and uh, <laughs> I, look, one of these days someone will have it again i think a lot of people could do this doug at, at that age but you have to really love doing it and i loved every second of I loved the drives up to practice, the two hours of practice. I was the first one there, the last one to leave. Uh, just the, the players, the coaches, everyone embraced me every second of the day for literally four years. And it was just a great uh, four years. And I hope some of the stories in the book reflect that, which I, I think, it, you know, I I remember when I first met you, and again, when I saw you on the practice field, I didn't realize you were the age you were. I thought you were about 15 years younger. So uh, you, you didn't look at then. I'm, I'm guessing you still don't look at today. So uh, God bless you for that. <laughs> I do not. I am a 70. I'll be 73 in October. I just came from the track an hour and a half. I do, uh, you know, I work out about five times a week. But look, I don't work out three, four hours a day. I eat well. I do parties sometimes. <laughs> Love a cock. 
but it's all about just, I think, you know, good genetics and, you know, just taking care of yourself. I know you tell stories you in the book about, uh, you know, the practices and the games and the other players on the field, uh, uh, a great respect they had for you, but none of them really, uh, you know, let you off the hook. I mean, they, they'd give you a shot or two and you gave them a shot or two, right? I mean, that's just part of football. It was even Marvin says in one of the videos that they did, you know, I, I get out, you know, when I got out there, it was, look, you know, I'm here to play football. When I put the helmet on, I look like every one of the teammates and I just did whatever they had to do in practice. And just, uh, you know, look, I knew my best football days were in the rearview mirror, you know, back 30 or 40 years ago. My intention when I started doing this was just to get back in a game jersey on a football team, whether I played one second or not. I just wanted to be the best teammate I possibly could be. And that's all that mattered to me. And thankfully, in the four years I played, I was on the field for about 10 offensive plays only. Mm -hmm. But I was on the field, I think out of the 50 games in the four years, it was only two games I didn't play in. But there were some games I played 12, 13, 14 plays because I would get on the special teams. Special teams, the right. The punt team, the, the kickoff team, the kick return team, extra points, field goals. Every time the special teams are out there, if someone shouted out, we need one more guy, I would be the first on the field. <laughs> and that's most of my licks in on special teams. And, and there's a video, and uh, I had forgotten about it because uh, I knew you, you got a two-point conversion until I read the book. There's a video on YouTube, so I went and looked at it. So I'm Correct. glad there's some of it on YouTube that they can see you. Yeah, if uh, anybody wants to look at the uh, – the website I had as a companion to the book, it's uh, www.thegoldengladiator.com. But there's a lot of pictures, a couple of hundred pictures in the gallery. There are a couple of the videos. There's me catching the two-point conversion back in 2014. And then there's me missing a touchdown pass. <laughs> Doug, I was open, and the quarterback overthrew me. But the following week is the week that uh, it was our last game. They got me out there, and uh, I got open, and the quarterback hit me for a touchdown pass in the end zone. Yeah. But all those videos are on the website. If people just want to look at the videos, there's a bunch of uh, articles from the book. And there's some articles that aren't in the book that I just wanted to put on the uh, website. Michael Lynch is our guest. Again, the name of the book is The Golden Gladiator, the true story of the oldest American football player's return to the gridiron and glory. And uh, I guess we mentioned, you know, you played a, a high school ball in Long Island. Uh, you and I are both uh, fellow Long Islanders. You were from Suffolk County. I was from yeah. Nassau County. But uh, uh, Long Island is a great football area. I, I got to cover some high school football up there before I moved down here. Uh, not quite as, uh, I guess, popular with the, you know, the, the public as uh, Friday Night Lights here in Florida. And, of course, Texas even more popular. But, but it had a great uh, – I mean, there was a great uh, high school football uh, quality, I guess, back then, I should say. Right? I mean, it was right. good, good quality football players. Yeah. 
Right. So when I played back in the late 60s, my two varsity seasons were 65 and 66. Bayshore used to play a team called Amityville. Sure. And yes, it is Amityville from the Amityville Horror. That is the same team. <laughs> But there was uh, one of the big players on uh, Amityville was John Nyland, who played with the Dallas Cowboys for about 12 years. Uh, Boomer Esiason came out of East Islip, right. which is two towns. Bernie, I mean, uh, yeah, Bernie Test, uh, Testaverde out of your area around Floral Park, Sawanica. And we used to have, so our stadium held around 2,000 people. But we would have around 3,000 people at the games. There would be uh, people lined up along Sunrise Highway, along the other side of the field where we didn't have bleachers. You know, my junior year, we were 7-1. and one. We lost one game by one point. There were no playoffs in New York in those days, right. very strangely. But uh, my senior year, we went undefeated, had a great team, and uh, the stadium was packed. But these days, uh, it seems like, Football has lost its allure on Long Island. There's a couple of good teams on the island, obviously, as there always are, and they have good followings. But, uh, you know, at Bayshore High School, there's like four or 500 people at the games these days. Yeah, it's kind of sad when you see that. As a, yes, as opposed to uh, here, Riverview, Manatee, Venice, you know, right down the block is the best high school team in the state. You know, Venice won the States last year. They won it a couple of years ago. Manatee has been in the top 10 of high school football teams in the country several times in the last uh, 15, 20 years. And uh, my girlfriend lives in Dallas. And it's just amazing the size of these high school stadiums in these towns. Oh, Allen sure. and yeah. Allen and Prosper have 20,000-seat football stadiums. Right. Those stadiums cost 25 to $30 million each. This is for high school. Highland Park, a really renowned high school football program, suits out 150 kids. They have 70 seniors on their high school football team. <laughs> but, I mean, how it is up and down, you know, all over uh, Texas. And as a matter of fact, Doug, that's one of the places where I'm going to start my advertising because I really haven't marketed the book yet, but I will be in five football programs in Texas, and I will be advertising here with Riverview High School, uh, you know, during their football season. Great. Yeah, I know you talked, we talked a little bit earlier about what you're going to do in Texas, so good luck with that. I'm sure that's going to be a, a big opportunity yeah, I, for the book. Yeah, I think it will be. You know, I'm going to have full-page ads in those uh, programs. And uh, Riverview does not have a football media program, but they have all kinds of uh, advertising uh, venues, some A-frames where you put banners on. And we're even talking about doing a uh, fundraiser with the book. And I'm talking to some of the uh, high schools in Texas about that also. Great. Yeah, look, it's, it's a self-published book. So it's up to me. It was up to me to write it, edit it, do the cover, get it as best I get it as perfect as I could, and now it's also up to me to get it out there and market it. Yeah, no, great, great job on the cover. Picture of Michael in his uniform, the uh, gladiator uniform on here. You got a picture of the Roman Colosseum, and you got some uh, 
a picture of you uh, blocking looks like three or four uh, Miami Bulls. <laughs> trying to hold them back. <laughs> and it because those all those Miami Bulls are, uh, you know, I talk to them on Facebook all the time. The the one guy I'm engaging on that front cover is uh, is uh, Zederick uh, Gardner, who's just a great guy. On the back is uh, Adley Travoli, another great guy. And, uh, you know, I've stayed in touch with a lot of those Bulls, uh, you know, on Facebook, as I do a lot of my opponents. i got to ask you, Mike, uh, I never played, you know, contact football. You played whatever we played as kids, you know, uh, touch football or a little bit of, you know, semi-tackle football. But never having played organized football, and obviously I know it's a bang-up sport. You get knocked around. Did your body feel a lot different? I mean, I'm sure it did feel a little different going back in at 62, 63. Uh, or was it worse than you thought? Or what you thought was going to happen, well, that's how you felt? So, Doug, this is the very, uh, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of hard to explain, but this is exactly how it was. Football is really 90% conditioning, learning your playbook, obviously. And, you know, 5 10% you know, some pretty heavy hit in contact. Uh, the first couple of times I got hit, it almost felt good because you have the adrenaline flowing and you're ready for it. I have played, I played 16 years of organized football, four in high school, five in, five in college, and uh, seven in semi-pro, three years in New York and four years up here. As old as I was, it just, it was never like devastating hits. And let me just say this, you know, I just didn't get hit that hard. I mean, sometimes, you know, you're always one hit away from being knocked out of a game. Right. I mean, I engaged maybe, you know, I was on the field for maybe maybe 250 plays, probably got hit 125 times. Thankfully, none that were just debilitating. I had many a bruise on my body, and some of those bruises are pictured in on the website. Yeah. Where there are pictures of. <laughs> but at the end of the day, Doug, I was sore after the games. Obviously, after all the practices. But uh, at this age, I'm sore a lot even after working out. But it was well worth it. And I'm just glad I didn't have any long-lasting injuries from it. I really had no concussions from ever playing football, thankfully. And uh, it really worked out. That's why at the end of four years, I thought it was time to say, okay, you played four years. You won two championships. You won that championship your last year. It was time for me to say goodbye to the game for the second time. Yeah. Yeah, I got the chance to call one of those championship games because it was, it was fun for me because a lot of the millionaire players were on that Gladiator team. We did it over in Daytona Beach, remember? Well, you, of course you remember. You were there. But... <laughs> well, Calvin, the, uh, Calvin was the commissioner of the league, Calvin yeah. Williams. Right. Uh, he had given up the millionaires that year, and a bunch of us went up to uh, Bradenton to play with the Gladiators, and they had changed their name to the Southwest Florida Gladi- Gladiators. And we were uh, lucky enough to make it to the finals and beat that the beat the Miami Bulls, who were considered the uh, national champions uh, of a semi-pro football. 
That game is actually still up on YouTube. Anybody wants to watch that? Oh, yeah. The whole game is up there. We did a live stream uh, uh, on uh, YouTube. It was a lot of fun. Uh, not, not, not a bad stadium either. It was, uh, it, it was a fun weekend. It was uh, – I'll never forget it, and it was nice going back uh, three years later right. in uh, 2018, same stadium. Uh, just And I have been by that stadium, Doug, two different times when I drove down – to Florida five years ago, I exited Daytona. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, I think it was it was this time six years ago, and walked that field for probably an hour, just waking up the echoes. Man, it was just a great feeling. I was the only only body in that stadium. The gate was open, because that's where Bethune Cookman plays their uh, football. Oh, sure, right, right. Yeah. yeah that, Stadium. That's the Bethune Cookman. They're in uh, Daytona. And I believe they did the and, high school championships there a couple of years ago. Oh yeah, too. they moved them out of the Citrus yeah. Bowl. Yeah, right. Correct. Yeah. I mean, they've uh, you know very nice stadium, and it was just uh, some great memories. Yeah, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. And again, if you want to see Michael, it's not a great picture on it, but you can at least see you know hear the game and see some of the highlights. That was a wild game because uh, uh, the Gladiators got out to a huge lead in that. I mean, it looked like there was they were going to well, they did you did run them out of the building. Uh, they came back a little bit, but they never really had a chance. And uh, it was a wild. I think it was like fifty-five so, to twenty-eight, something like that. It was fifty-two to twenty-eight, okay, and right. I mentioned. Times in my book, uh, before that game, the Bulls, and we were kind of loud and outrageous ourselves, <laughs> but the Bulls, were basically, they were going for their third straight championship. They were posting on YouTube during the uh, pre-games that they were going to literally kick the living S H T out. I wish oh, I'd yeah. known that. I would have might have mentioned that. <laughs> and this is... The score at halftime was 38 to nothing. Right. The Southwest Florida Gladiators. We were beating them. We scored, I think we put up 21 in the first. First quarter was like, I think the first three possessions you scored. Yeah. Right. We scored. We scored. We blocked a punt. We scored. And then we scored, intercepted a pass. All of a sudden, we look up on the scoreboard. And it was 38 nothing, But we still in the locker room. Well, our quarterback, I have to mention him, uh, Dwayne the Rooster Shannon, was a, gr- <laughs> was a great talent. And that was the best game I ever saw anyone play in a football uniform pertaining to the talent on the field at that time. He, and there are, there are YouTube videos. If you go to Miami Bulls vs. Southwest Florida Gladiators, there's four or five videos of that game, and you will see the quarterback, Dwayne the Rooster Shannon, basically have a game you know, of a lifetime. Yeah. They couldn't catch him. He completed all his passes. He outran him. He outjuked him. He did everything. And that's one of the big reasons we won that game. The defense was good, but we still let up 28 points, but we put up 52. Yeah. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Great game. Yeah. That it was. Michael and I got a lot of nice. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I said I got a lot of nice hardware from those uh, four years. We got two conference rings and we got two uh, league championship rings. Yeah. 
great uh, great memories to have. And Michael enters our guest. Before we uh, wrap it up, just want to give Michael uh, just a little, little bit of, of Michael's background. Obviously, uh, you didn't play football for the, that 40 years in between. You, you kind of ran a very successful uh, sports business on Long Island, right, with uh, with the different fields that you uh, manage, Correct. different leagues, uh, softball leagues, mostly, Correct. right? So, you know, like down here, they have all these soccer and softball leagues, and they have all these leagues for kids and adults. So on Long Island, with literally three million people on Long Island, I ran for 25 years the biggest softball league on Long Island, adult softball league. You know, the geographic area was from uh, the Queens-Nassau border out mm-hmm. to Brookhaven, which was 50 miles and, you know, all the way from Northport to Bayshore. So over 25 years, I think I had about 4,500 teams play in that league. It was nonstop work, but I had three months off every year and would come down here in winter. And that's how I got turned on to Sarasota in this area. And it was, uh, you know, a lot of work, but I made some good money and, uh, Always stayed in shape, Doug, for the 40 years I didn't play football, but uh, really had to turn it up for the year before I went out for the team. And the four years I did play, I mean, I worked out constantly. Yeah. yeah softball, uh, like I told you before we went on, I, I played in a church league for a few years. Huge up in Long Island. I mean, that's big. Not, not as doesn't seem like there's that many teams down here unless I haven't heard about it. So that's really kind of a New York you know, thing, I, isn't it? When I came down here, I I think the reason is the temperatures because it's mostly old. It's mostly men from thirty to sixty that play softball right. up in Long Island. So we're talking about Down slow, slow pitch softball mostly. Exactly. I it was slow pitch. Every league I had was slow pitch. I think it has something to do with the weather, baby, down here. Uh, who wants to muster at nine o'clock in the morning when it's one hundred and ten degrees out right. in the summer? softball but that being said they have a couple of softball leagues down here but on long island i mean they were literally i mean i averaged around 170 teams a year they were probably another two or three big leagues that had about the same amount of teams i mean it was just oh i mean it's you know there's three million people suffolk county has 1.5 million people nassau has about two million people it was just teams all over the place now how did you do that before really the internet and computers uh, how did you, you basically did that as a one-man operation for the most part didn't you one man operation. it was uh i knew when i got into it it was going to be literally every day seven days a week 10 12 hours a day if i was thinking about making a good living off it and having and that was your only job up. right i mean that was your job you didn't that have another job only job yeah so it was nine months, a, nine months a year for 25 years. Thankfully, I did have like December, January off because it's too cold to play. But they started playing in early spring leagues at March 1st. Right. The leagues would start in May. And then they'd have a fall, what they call snowflake leagues, which <laughs> started that. in September yeah. and ran until uh, just about Thanksgiving. So a lot of work for the nine months, but two to three months off. Worked it, had a great time doing it. But to this day, I still do not know how I did it. Because the internet came around, you know, by 2000, all the leagues had to have their 
uh, websites and things like that. I would literally, from 92 to 2000, I would write newsletters for each team, each division. And I think I had 30 divisions. And I would literally, you know, write them on a typewriter, write them up, statistics, all the standings for like 170 teams, and uh, mail it out to every manager every week. So it was a lot of work, you know, working on the fields, making the schedules. I assigned the umpires. But look, it was a lot of work, but it was some very good money. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great uh, – sounds like it was when I read the – I know you did that when we talked, you know, a long time ago, but I didn't realize the the depth yeah. of it till I read the book, how, how much you did. I thought maybe you were part of a staff, but you were the staff. Oh, no, no. <laughs> to me, it was like I tried to have a couple of people make some schedules for me once. It didn't work out. Yeah. I had some people try to do deals for me. It didn't work out. I said, man, the only way to do it is do it yourself, yourself. knock it out. And it worked out well. I mean, 25 years, I don't know how I did it, but I did. And uh, and now the team, there's two leagues up in Long Island. They say there's less teams playing because back, even when I was leaving Long Island six years ago, you just never saw kids playing uh, baseball on the streets no, anymore. No, I've said that down here. You don't see any down here. Yeah. Pick up baseball, yeah. stickball. I mean, you probably played stickball even in Suffolk, right? Against the schoolyard wall. Oh. Or, yeah, nobody does that down here. No, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I was born in New York City. And before we moved out to Long Island, I remember playing a stickball when I was six and seven yeah. in the streets of uh, Greenwich Village. You know, you, you played the, the, the real stickball, the, the sewer stickball. Yeah, we played against the schoolyard, okay. you know, the little box on the yeah. wall. Yeah. Right. We. <laughs> Then I got out to uh, Long Island too. Exactly, they paint the they paint the box yeah. on the school wall. two two man stick ball. You could play that way. Automatics, Not, yeah. Right. That's how a lot of pitchers got. Uh, because, as you know, Doug. I mean, these days when we grew up watching the Yankees or the Mets, those starting pitches usually went seven eight innings. At least these days, <laughs> you're right. These, I mean, I, and I think that's how they built their arm up was playing stickball and wiffle ball and doing all kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah, you you and I, I mean, you, you had the chance to see uh, some of the great Yankee teams of the, I guess, the early 60s as a kid. I got to, didn't get into baseball till just about 69. And, of course, uh, I've never seen a better pitcher than Tom Seaver. I, I think you probably would agree with that as a New Yorker. Uh, we got to see some great baseball in New York. Well, yeah, I saw it. Look, I grew up watching Madeline Maris. I was uh, – nine years old and you know in, in 60 and 61 nine and ten so we saw that whole uh home run and what's nice about watching the yankees and i don't watch as many games but it's nice watching uh judge judge right who i who might beat maris legitimately without you know mcguire and uh bonds without and the Sosa, artificial help let's say right? without without <laughs> Yeah. Look, they did what they did. I mean, it seems like a lot of them are pretty contrite about it these days, but it is what it is. But let's hope Judge beats it, and uh, he'll do it legitimately. Interesting, though, it's a salary year. I mean, a lot of people say, well, how come he couldn't have done this, you know, two or three years ago? <laughs> I put Brian Cashman is going, oh, my God, why didn't we sign this guy in spring? Because – I mean, the money he's going to command is going to be just unbelievable. Oh, yeah. But look, the Yankees have it. Come on, let's go. 
That's it. That's it. And again, we won't let the, we won't tell the story tonight, but we want to have the people read the book, The Golden Gladiator. Michael has some great stories about his life, and and you went through some tough times. We won't get into it uh, in detail now, but uh, that really kind of molded you, I think, early on in your young adult years. That uh, I think that really, if you hadn't gone through that, maybe you wouldn't have been as successful. So, would you agree with that? You know, Doug, I do, and that's why I mentioned uh, you know stories about Billy Cannon, the former LSU Heisman Trophy winner. Great running back, played uh, uh, in the pros for 10 years. And a lot of people in this generation may not know about Billy. But Billy was a Heisman Trophy winner, a terror at LSU, and uh, went on to become a dentist when he got out of uh, playing pro football, but got caught uh, counterfeiting money. Mm. Did federal time. He was actually inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, and they had re- they rescinded that uh, honor because he was arrested oh, and really? locked up. Wow. Yes. When he got out of college, I mean, excuse me, when he got out of prison, he took over the medical uh, dentistry at Angola Penitentiary, revamped all of Louisiana's prison system medical facilities and really redeemed himself in the end and the college football re-elected him into the hall of fame mm. and he is the only player ever elected twice into the college football hall of fame because yeah. the first was re- but yeah so i ran into some trouble when i was in college uh uh, it's a good story. I yeah, think well, the, we want enjoy. people to read about that because I mean, it's exactly. a big part of your life. It's an important part of your life, but it's exactly. not. But it helped you. I think it helped you in the long run. Obviously, that it was all about redemption. Sometimes it's like, hey, okay, so this is what it's about. Dig in, you know, make it right, and uh, do better from here. So yeah. I think that people will enjoy reading about it, and it has something to do with football too because it pertains to playing football. Yeah, no doubt. The Golden Gladiator, the true story of the oldest American football players return to the gridiron and glory. And we've been talking with uh, Michael Lynch tonight. And, Michael, I know you, you mentioned a website about the book. I guess it's available at all the sites. We're going to put a link on our website as well with this uh, particular podcast that will uh, you'll feel free to post it wherever you like. We post it on all our platforms. But uh, any place else you want to direct people to? Well, yeah, the, uh, the website is www.thegoldengladiator.com, which is a great companion to the book. If people don't want to buy the book, they can go to the website and just get a lot of information about my journey. Uh, you know, there's a couple of hundred photos. There's a bunch of videos. Uh, there's a couple of reviews for the book on it. Uh, thankfully, it's been reviewed twice by two outside literary organizations, and they both have given me five-star reviews, uh, Literary Titan and The Book Connection, and I'm in the process right now of just getting this thing going. Great, and we want people to buy the book because it's going to be helpful to a lot of people, so we we encourage that. And Michael, I, I know it's been a while since we uh, chatted, but uh, let's not make it uh, a one time only. Let's uh, you know periodically uh, we can just talk sports, or maybe do a, if you have an update on the book, let's do something down the road, maybe uh, uh, you know, beginning of uh, next year. But uh, let's keep in touch, huh? 
Doug will definitely do that. And I want to say this to a lot of people who may know me. It has been a, uh, it, it was five years writing this book. And it was literally, you know, the writing it, the editing it. I didn't do that. I paid to have two very good editors do it. But it was a long, long process, 40, 50 hours a week. Everyone else works. But now I have time on my hands, Doug, and I promise you, I'll never forget you because I relate to you from the very beginning of this journey. You know, I mentioned you in the book, obviously, uh, because, you know, you and Calvin and Coach Givens and those uh, Sarasota millionaires uh, go into those practices the year before I played. I will just never forget that time. And because I didn't know if I'd be able to make the team. I didn't know if I'd be able to pull it off when I got on the field. But I would have kicked myself in the behind if I didn't give it a try. And I'm glad it's the same thing. You know, it's all about a journey, getting it done. And uh, I think people will really enjoy the book. And Doug, we will stay in touch. I promise you that, my friend. Well, I know we got along because you're both Long Island guys. (laughs) That's the main reason. (laughs) We understand things that other people don't get, (laughs) I think. No, Doug, you're one of the good people. Buddy, I'll never forget you, my friend. (laughs) Michael, hang on if you will. We want to thank him once again, Michael Lynch, and we'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. 